the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. We do so as we do almost every Monday with the great Brandon J. Weikert. Brandon Weikert is the author of several books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He is an expert on all these hot-button places, and uh, America as well. Has a uh, column in the Asia Times uh, that just came out today, Wasted Tanks, Wasted Time in Ukraine. We talked a little bit about this, Brandon, um, last week when the news was coming in. Uh, Talk to us about what we're doing here. It seems like maybe the worst of all worlds, but you give us an overview. Yeah, so the title, of course, was inspired uh, by the great Freddie Fender's uh, Wasted Days and Wasted Nights uh, piece. Uh, but I had a little fun with the title. Unfortunately, not a very fun topic. Um, basically, it's sort of a culmination of what you and I were talking about for the last couple of weeks, where I was looking at some of the hard data sets, which, of course, is very difficult because this conflict in Ukraine has been surrounded by a bodyguard of lies, as Churchill might say, yeah. particularly on our side. Yeah. Uh, the Russians, of course, are masters of disinformation as well. But what's been really confounding is it's been very difficult to get actual data on what's going on, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why the new Republican House is saying we want to audit this and we want to see what's going on. Where is the money and the equipment actually going? Um, so I wrote this piece to sort of do a deep dive, and that's what it is. Basically, I looked at what the claims of the Ukrainians are, which is that, hey, even though we've got a 1,000 tanks, those are Soviet-era tanks. They're useless, according to the Ukrainians, against the Soviet-era tanks the Russians are sending their way. Uh, The Russians have deployed 200 of the T-90M variant of their T-90 main battle tank, MBT, uh, in eastern Ukraine, uh, which are ready to roll. So it looks like they're getting ready to punch very hard with armor uh, in the next few weeks, probably as as early as a week from now. Um, They're already doing shaping operations against the Ukrainians, the Russians are. I have heard, and I posted a very interesting interview you won't see on the mainstream media, uh, with an Australian Special Forces member who's now working for an undisclosed private military firm who's fighting the Russians in Bakhmut. Uh, He claims on his ground level... Uh, the Russians have already broken through to the second of the three forward defensive lines as of the last 48 hours. Um, so what I looked at is they said, OK, the, the Ukrainians, they need uh, NATO advanced battle tanks and main battle tanks. We're sending a uh, supposedly they announced this morning it won't be till the end of the year, but we'll be sending 31 Abram M1 uh, Abrams tanks, the most sophisticated variant of that, which have to be built from scratch, Seth. And, you know, our industrial capacity is not what it once was. Mm -hmm. So just consider those 31 Abrams. They ain't coming anytime soon. And the attack is happening now with 350,000 Russian troops, 200 T-90M main battle tanks, uh, an assortment of other T-72 main battle tanks, 
Quantity, as you know, has a quality all of its own. This is how the Russians have lived in every war they fought against the West. Uh, the Germans have committed, as some of your audience may know, after being dragged across the finish line. Understandably, they're hesitant because their economy depends on cheap Russian natural gas. Uh, and they're suffering in Germany economically and politically because of the gas cuts that have occurred. But they've agreed to send their advanced leopard tanks. They're going to be sending 14 of them. That's a company. 14 of them to Ukraine. Poland has been given authorization by Berlin to send another company. That's 14. Um, I believe Greece is now going to be sending 14. So that's 14 plus 14 plus 14 plus an additional 15 uh, Challenger 2 tanks from Britain. Now, Ukraine has been saying they need 300 NATO main battle tanks. That's a lot less. 14 plus 14 plus 14. We're at about 60 if my math is right. Yeah, close to 60 all in. That's right. That's right. So what are we going to do? What are we expecting the Ukrainians to do with that? To me, this is an insane strategy, not because I'm anti-Ukraine, but because I live in the real world. And in the real world, math still counts. Geography still counts. We're talking about Russia getting a breakout very soon. They're going to break out with armor. Uh, The reason that that's so different from what we saw last year is because, A, Russia has actually shaken up their command structure. They now have, I think, a competent duo of generals running it for Russian standards. Uh, The problem also is we keep talking about Russian quality of forces. Well, it's a mixed bag, but right now it seems like the Wagner Group, as well as some of these frontline groups that are now being sent out by Russia, seem to be better equipped and better trained. In fact, there are reports from Western commando units operating in the front line of Ukraine that they're killing these Wagner guys and they're seeing them with advanced uh, uh, ISR and advanced uh, uh, tracking capabilities. Uh, And there's another thing uh, that we're not talking about, and that's Russia's allies. We keep talking about how Russia's Yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah, right. They're not. Chinese elements are on the ground from BGI, which is the big drone maker, augmenting Wagner Group drone activities. We just blew up, the Israelis just blew up the Iranian drone factory. Well, people forget the other major uh, supplier of drones to Russia uh, is China. And they've got people on the ground embedded with Wagner elements. So that means China has elements, whether they're shooting at our people or not. So this is a world war right now. And the Russians are poised to win. And we're talking about sending 60 to 80 main battle tanks from NATO in the next, you know, six to eight months. That's not even the training that's going to be required and logistical issues. And by the way, the moment those main battle tanks start coming in from Lvov, uh, you can rest assured, because Russia's already said this is a direct escalation step against Russia by NATO, they're going to start attacking those NATO supply chains directly. They've held off from doing it. We're also now hearing from Ukraine, oh, please send us F-16s. My God, Seth. We, what are they going to do with F-16s? Well, the reason they're asking for it is because the Ukrainians fully understand. Even if they get a handful of tanks, those tanks are going to need air cover. The Russians are going to blast those tanks to bits. And if they don't blast those tanks to bits, they're going to capture those tanks. And, oh, guess what? Our sophisticated NATO main battle tanks are now absorbed by the oncoming Russian horde. All of this could have been avoided had after Kiev been defended eight months ago, Zelensky would have been allowed 
to go meet with Lavrov, the uh, Russian foreign minister, and try to get a negotiated settlement, which is what Moscow was aiming for at that time. But he wasn't able to do that because the NATO alliance, as represented by Boris Johnson, who was prime minister of Britain at the time, flew to Kiev and basically said, you're not going to do this. And so now here we are. The Ukrainians are probably going to fall at this rate in the next six to eight months, definitely, I think. Uh, and then that's going to leave us in a real bad geostrategic position. NATO will have been humiliated. It will fracture. Germany and France will break away on some level because they're already at their wit's end, the voters there, with their policies of their government. Poland will be isolated. They will now have to be standing alone with only Britain and America. And America will have been pushed out. And Russia will be right on the borders of Eastern Europe, directly in Ukraine. This is a nightmare scenario because President Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, has been banging the war drum without a plan. And now here we are. It is a nightmare. And that's the basis of my article. I break it down and I show how this is a numerical game right now. We ain't got the numbers. This is... A five-alarm fire, as far as I can tell, Brandon, uh, especially with, as Joe Biden saying today, uh, we're not going to send uh, F-16s over to provide air cover. We can't. We, we, right. Uh, agreed. But leaving the tanks that we are building and sending over there vulnerable seems to me that we will be building M1 tanks just to see them and watch them be destroyed. It seems to me like it was almost a threat with no intention to send them. I'm not sure. It it just something here just doesn't parse or make sense. Let me take a quick commercial break and pick up on that when we come back. Also, yeah, I think that Iran bombing of the munitions plant in uh, the Israeli bombing. Yeah, we'll talk about that, too. Let me take a quick commercial break, folks. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at we the Brandon, very active Twitter feed. And he is also, I should mention, the publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com. And he spells his last name W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. It's not a joke. I think I may have mentioned it last week, but it seems the strategy we're going for with defending or attempting to defend Ukraine against Russia is like that couple at the retreat where the wife says the food here is awful and the Husband says, yeah, in such small portions, too. It seems like that's kind of what we're doing with this um, promise. Or is it a threat to build, make and send these tanks to Ukraine? Brandon, and I'll come right back on all of this in just a moment. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest columnist with the Asia Times, the Washington Times, American Greatness, his piece in the Asian Times just out today, wasted tanks, wasted time in Ukraine. Brandon, do you think that the promise and announcement of sending the Abrams tanks is 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 a sincere promise or do you think it was a tested threat? Um, It doesn't seem that Vladimir Putin has succumbed to any of our threats at this point. And it also seems odd that we're doing this so far into the game, so far into the war, when it was the sanctions that were supposed to be so crushing. It makes us wonder if there is an end to this. Um, Maybe it's just an end to these tanks we're going to be sending over. I don't know. So my great hope, and I say this with a heavy heart, is that Biden was merely posturing with the tanks. That he needed to get Germany to agree to send their Leopard 2 tanks over 
And Germany said, we'll only do it if America consents to send their Abrams. Right. Uh, and so Biden came out at no cost to anybody in America to say, hey, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. And then let the Pentagon work out the details. And, of course, the Pentagon, embarrassingly, came out immediately after he, you know, it just shows you how little control Biden has. This is the commander in chief of the armed forces. And it took within an hour of him making those comments. The, the chief of the Pentagon's program for procurement for the Army had to come out and had to say, um, on second thought, Mr. President, turns out we don't have 31 Abrams yeah, right. that we can reliably send. We have to actually build them from scratch because we have to send the most, tech, you know, the most technologically advanced ones because it'll be quicker, supposedly, to build those technologically advanced M1 variants from the scratch rather than just pull the stuff that we've had sitting on the shelves uh, in the storage facility for 30, 40 years now. Um, it's, it, all of this doesn't make sense. It's almost like it was just a political stunt to force Germany to give over their Leopard 2s. And again, Leopard 2s are an extremely sophisticated piece of military technology. And we're not giving them enough uh, in Ukraine for it to make a difference. There isn't enough time to train the Ukrainians up on these very, very sophisticated systems. Ukraine has a thousand Soviet-era main battle tanks. Poland is giving 60 more Soviet-era, or uh, I think it's the P-190 or the PT-19. It's their uh, version of the T-80, I think, or T-72 Soviet tank that was built in the 1990s, 95, 96. They're giving them like 50 or 60 of those right now, along with the 15 Leopard 2s that are going to be coming at some point from Poland as well. So it's not like Ukraine lacks tanks. So this begs the question, just how bad is it in Ukraine? Because if these guys that I'm hearing uh, fighting on the front lines, these Australian commandos who are working for private military contractors, supposedly mm -hmm. they're not part of any official group. If, if what they're saying online is true, then Ukraine has there's like an 80 percent attrition rate at the brigade level. Mm. That's 5000 guys, uh, Ukrainian troops. They're losing 80 percent a day, mm. according to one of these Australians mm. in Bakhmut. Mm. 5000 loss of 80 percent. Ukraine does not have the population to sustain this. This is this is the worst case scenario. We're going to wake up June, July, August, September at some point, I think, in one of those months, and you're going to have Russian forces steaming down to uh, the Polish border, okay? And at that point, Poland is going to be in the catbird seat, and they're going to have to probably, in my opinion, they should already be planning to do this, send 150 to 200,000 Polish troops into Galicia, which is western Ukraine, and draw a line of control and say, okay, Russia, you're going to walk away with probably – Kiev and everything east and south of that, but you are not getting your troops on our border. This is it, because I don't believe, I don't believe that Putin will risk a direct attack even even then on NATO. I think he, he's making a point right now. I think he has been humiliated to some degree, which is why he's fighting back so hard. And he won't he won't give this up, and I think that he is losing a lot of uh, forces and money. So I think he wants to hold those eastern and southern Ukrainian. Uh, port cities and the eastern cities that are along the Russian borders that are Russian-speaking. And then he'll probably, if he meets a line of control imposed by Poland, a NATO partner, and maybe some of the other NATO countries could help them out. Not the United States, though. It's got to be a European initiative. 
maybe that stops this thing from escalating into a full frontal war with NATO. But then again, Putin's state of mind is very much in question yeah, right now. Sure. You know, he's isolated, so maybe he's done. Maybe this is it. He's not going to deal with us anymore. And like I said, this is not just an isolated event anymore. You've got Chinese BGI technicians, quote-unquote, on the ground embedded with Wagner. You can bet they're more than technicians. You've got but the North Korean ammunition is keeping the Russian war front going right now. Um, you've got uh, India buying and China. India is a friend of ours, too. India and China are buying oil by the barrel full daily that would have, or natural gas that would have gone to Europe. They're now sustaining the Russian economy this way. We all thought the Russian economy would be collapsed by this time. That is not the case. The Russians have figured out a way to keep going. And um, you've got now also uh, South Korea now being pulled into this thing. And then you've got the Israeli strikes on the major drone facility in Iran, which wasn't just about the Ukraine fight, but it's deeply impacting the Russian side of things. This is already a world war. Set. Yeah, this yeah. is where we are. Biden has taken us here. This would not have happened under Trump. It, it, it's a it was a parade of horribles that got us to this point. And I'm just sitting here listening to that, uh, the, the, the parade as you recite it, Brandon. And I'm wondering if you're Poland at this point, um, you've got to be very nervous and think that this is now really, in a sense, something we never thought it would be. Maybe maybe you did, but it's almost going to be whatever we do or try to negotiate with Putin, a war to defend Poland. Yeah, I actually think, uh, you know, I've been writing about for the last eight months, do a deal, do a deal. Yeah, yeah. I think I said this to you. Yeah. I think I said yeah. this to you last week. Yeah. I don't believe actually a deal is possible anymore. OK, um, I think that I, I think that Russia is now all in. I think that Putin, the reason he called it a special military operation and didn't fully mobilize, I think partly was because Putin was really hoping to scare the West into sitting at the negotiating table and giving him eastern Ukraine and uh, Crimea. Maybe he gets the Kiev regime as well. But that was always sort of, I think, just a faint on his part. I think the real goal was eastern Ukraine and Crimea, definitely Crimea. Um, and that's only, remember, Crimea is only one of two Russia's warm water ports. The other Russian warm water port, which is more of a facility, is in Syria, which is the other place that Russia's been at war with the West. Um, but so... For, for Putin, I think the first year he was really hoping that he could do a big show, a quick show of force, get the West to come negotiate eastern Ukraine and Crimea away. It didn't happen. So now he's all in because for him, if he can't pull a victory out, he's going to get overthrown. He's going to look weak at home. Yeah. And by the way, all the, all the protests in Russia right now, they aren't against the war. They're saying, Putin, you've, you've been too nice. Our boys are dying over there now. You need to go in full bore and annihilate. Yeah. So there's no turning back now. This is it. Yeah, we have prolonged thing. something. We have created something and then prolonged it. That's that's exactly what that's that's exactly what we've done. We created the scenario for this to take place and now we have prolonged it. Time being on Putin's Chickens side, we have given roost. Huh? Say that Chickens again. Are coming home to yeah, roost. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chickens are coming home to roost. Let me yeah. pi- let me pick up on the story of the Israeli strike on the Iran uh, military plant with you sure. when we come right back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He and I will be right back.
Brandon Weikert is our guest, uh, expert on space and defense, expert on Iran, expert on China, expert on a lot of things. His book coming out on Iran, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. In the news, Brandon, as you were referencing in the previous segments and uh, as is being reported pretty much everywhere, uh, Israel uh, has uh, taken a strike against uh, an Iranian munitions factory in Iran. Uh, is this going to escalate, uh, or is this? Uh, how how do you see this? How do you see this playing out? This is part of the shadow war. So the shadow war has been going on since the revolution in Iran, really, between the West and its allies and uh, Iran. And the the big the big leader uh, on the front lines has always been Israel, and since 2014-15, Saudi Arabia has been on their side as well. Um, but there have been a series of escalations in the sh- shadow boxing, as Jed Babin called it in the American Spectator a few years ago, uh, between the West and Iran, jockeying for better strategic positioning in the region. Iran has been building up for at least 15 years the capabilities to basically launch, for lack of a better term, and I realize the context might not be there fully, but basically a new region-wide intifada against Israel specifically, but also against the apostates in Saudi Arabia, all in an effort to expand Shiite Iranian control of the region and to push the Americans back. Now, the, the Iranians have been prevented until very recently from expanding what rudimentary nuclear weapons capabilities they have. But as I've been reporting exclusively, by the way, this is my exclusive story, Israeli sources since Christmas have been reporting these weird shipments of uranium out of Iran into or attempting to get them to the hands of the Houthis in Yemen, uh, attempting to apparently, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, get a, a shipment of uranium to undisclosed groups in England. It was intercepted at Heathrow Airport. I think that actually that was a transit node. It was, its final destination, I do not think, was England. I think the Iranians are shipping this stuff in small batches to different staging areas. In this case, I think it was headed to le- toward Lebanon or Syria, where Hezbollah will then fold it into the Iranian-built precision-guided munitions that they will then use to target major Iranian uh, cities like Haifa, which is a huge economic hub for Israel. They will use those precision-guided munitions that Iran has been building as part of the precision project to target key infrastructure to basically scale up what happened in the Hezbollah-Israeli war in 06 and give it a greater punch. At the same time, they're going to unleash hell on the Saudis from their friends in the, the Houthis. That drone facility has been that the Israelis took out a couple nights ago has not only been supplying the Russians in Ukraine, it's also been strategically vital for the war uh, uh, against uh, the American-backed uh, rebels. And let's face it, we were, we were supporting jihadi groups. We shouldn't have been doing that in Syria. But it's also been key, those drones have, for getting them to the Houthis to then use those drones to attack the Abqaiq oil refinery facility in Saudi Arabia in an attempt by Iran to drive the price of oil up on the global market. They did this in 2019. The Trump administration was able to help overcome it. But now, with us being so more dependent on international oil than we were during the Trump years, should the Iranians replicate that attack, or should they put uranium on one of those 
uh, drones and fly it into, you know, Haifa or Tel Aviv or, God forbid, Jerusalem, uh, you know, you, you've got a real nightmare scenario. You've got a massive escalation. And do not think for a second that Iran is not using the Russo-Ukraine war as a cover to escalate in their neck of the woods, or in this case, their patch of desert. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and by, by the way, real quick, I, you know, in my chapter three in the shadow war coming out March 28th now, um, the, the chapter three, I talk about how uh, Iran has been trying to send those fast attack boats. They've been trying to send uh, the, the drones. They've been trying to send precision uh, munitions into Venezuela for the last 15 years. Well, there is now an Iranian naval boat uh, inching its way across the Atlantic trying to go to Venezuela in order, I believe, to set up similar to what they have in Lebanon with Hezbollah. They're trying to set up, I think, a similar operation with Hezbollah in Venezuela to target the Panama Canal and to try to target the United States in its own sphere of influence. And this is all happening right now. All right. So what I'm hearing is, and obviously people can read the reports, but what I'm hearing, and I'm hearing it in your voice as well as in your analysis, Brandon, is that the fires are raging, and what we need is a retardant badly. Uh, We need to calm (laughs) and quell not only the Ukraine-Russia situation, we haven't even gotten really that much to China, but also the Middle East situation. So here's the big question for you when we come back from the break. What is our ability, what is uh, the advice you would give to help calm some of these uh, these fires, to help retard these fires, calm these roiling waters. When we come back, I'll ask Brandon uh, his thoughts on that. And 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 maybe there's not a good answer here. Maybe you know one side of one of these conflicts or one of these wars just has to have a convincing victory. But we'll talk with Brandon about that when we come right back. Brandon J. Weikert has been our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at We the Brandon. You can read his uh, his columns at the Washington Times, the Asia Times, American Greatness, or uh, his wonderful books, uh, Winning Space and The Shadow War and Biohacked. Uh, Winning Space about our space defense systems, uh, The Shadow War about Iran, and Biohacked, China's race to control life. Brandon, just taking those two areas that I mentioned before the break, Russia, Ukraine, it's really a question of uh, all of Europe, perhaps, uh, and Iran, Israel, which might be a question of all of the Middle East, perhaps. Um, there, the fires are raging, and uh, in right. some cases, we're we're pouring accelerant on them. We need to be pouring retardant. How do we calm? How do we calm this stuff down? Um, well, the and maybe is, we can't. We maybe one maybe one yeah, side and one can't. conflict has to be decisive in victory. We, I don't know. We, we we cannot we cannot calm it because we have the wrong man in the White House. He's not even really running things. Um, I think it's very interesting. As you know, I became a – I'm a big DeSantis guy. Yeah. But I got to tell you, the, the last couple of weeks, Trump, who I thought kind of went off the deep end the last year, he's starting to sound more rational than any of these other candidates. You know, he's talking about how he's going to be the candidate of peace. He's talking about how he wants to build space-based missile defense. I like to think that he's listening to me again, finally. Um, but the point here is we now – we need someone like Trump – um, who's already figured out. Now, maybe Trump's not the right guy. I think DeSantis also has this thought, but I haven't heard this from DeSantis yet. 
But basically what we need to do is we're going to have to eat some crow here because this situation, this is why I said in my article, wasted time. We wasted so much time in the beginning of the conflict because, as you noted, all we wanted to do, and I know this for a fact, the Pentagon looked at this as like a big risk game. And they said, hey, we can get the Russians to invade and then just bleed them in the field. Who cares if we win or lose? We'll just break the Russian military's back. Well, let me tell you something. That's not happening. Yeah, we weakened Russia's military, but they're still punching, and they're very angry now. And a wounded, cornered bear is not the best thing you want to have coming at you, um, especially when, you're, when your guys on the ground, the Ukrainians, as heroic as they are, they're weak. So what we need to do is what I was talking about earlier. Poland has got to be encouraged to lead a coalition of European countries to draw a line of control with their forces directly in western Ukraine. They need to repolonize. Uh, Western Ukraine, take Galicia back. They then need to pivot and say, Russia and the United States need to back them on this. Russia, you can have that part of Ukraine that you've always wanted, but you are not crossing this line and moving your forces right on our border uh, in Western Ukraine. It's not happening. And then what they do then is they pivot and they start investing in building up the intermarium, those Eastern European countries, building a mini kind of economic coalition and uh, defensive alliance so that they become too hard to swallow by Russia. Russia is going to be weakened by the end of this war. Meanwhile, the real center of gravity, if we're looking at Iran and Russia, for the United States, the real center of gravity is not Europe, which should be able to handle their own national defense. Collectively, Europe has a, a GDP of 14.1 trillion euros, which is like $15.7 trillion in U.S. dollars uh, in 2021 terms. So they've got enough money. They've got enough tech. They should be able to hold their own and draw and tell the Russians, say, hey, look, Ukraine wasn't a NATO member. It was extraordinary what we did. But if you do try to hit NATO, then you are going to be at war with us. And you don't want that and we don't want that. And I think Putin will stand down. Meanwhile, in the Middle East, we need to reinvigorate that Abraham Accord alliance, the, the kind of the NATO of the Middle East, with the United States forming the kind of the support for Israel and the Sunni Arabs as led by the Saudis and tell them, you guys do whatever you need to do to stop Iran. And in the meanwhile, we need to start pulling our forces from Europe and pulling even maybe some from the Middle East and repositioning them into the Indo-Pacific. Because let me tell you something, once the Russian thing ends and once we can contain Iran, China is going to go full bore. They are going to go full bore, I think against us in Taiwan because they think that we've broken our backs in Ukraine and that we're being stretched to our breaking point in the Middle East by Iran. So this is where it's headed. So we need to start preparing now our industrial capability, our economy, and our leadership for deterring a very likely Chinese invasion of Taiwan. We can't do that, though, with Joe Biden in office. It's just that simple. Um, that that's the worry because he's going to be in office for a little while, um, <laughs> and 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 certainly the ideology within the State Department and probably within the rest of the executive office isn't far removed from his probably his way of no. thinking about well, things. He's not even running things. Right. He's not even running things. So, right. You know. And one more thing, I wrote last April uh, an article in American Greatness for the Great Reset to Succeed: The Elite Need World War Three. Biden came in and he said, I'm going to be bigger than LBJ. And in his defense on paper, he's gotten more legislation passed or as much as LBJ has. 
So he's already gotten one point in his favor for the history books. But what's another thing these, these liberal presidents need? They need a big war. They need to be a wartime president to be considered great. So Biden now is getting his big war, and he thinks he's going to be FDR reincarnate. And he doesn't care about the consequences because, let's face it, he's like a 1,000 years old. He's not going to be with us much longer either way. So this is, I think, the cynical calculation for his legacy shopping that's going on. He is marching us that headlong into an economic recession as that is going to be crippling like we've never seen before. And then also he's pairing that with World War III, kind of like Woodrow Wilson, cut with World War I, and kind of like FDR with the Great Depression plus World War II. Only it's not going to end very well for us because we don't have the industrial capacity anymore, thanks to Wall Street and the greed where they shipped our jobs and our industrial capabilities over to China and the rest of the third world for the last 50 years. So we are hoist by our own petard. Yeah, this isn't the 80s. I mean, we lost Iran uh, in the 70s, right? We lost Iran. We're losing to Iran perhaps right now. Uh, The Soviets uh, in the 70s took over a dozen of countries due to our weakness. But we were able, with vigorous leadership, to turn that clock back and reverse those marches, including in Afghanistan, ironically enough, another country we didn't talk about today. But but we don't have that now. We're just not the same country we were, not internally, not economically, not militarily. Can I just give your your audience a little ideological SSRI inhibitor now? Please. Uh, I know I've kind of depressed everybody. Yes, if those are effective in foreign policy, we will take a serotonin (laughs) uh, reuptake inhibitor, please. So so Reagan took over. This country was the lowest point it had been in since the Civil War, probably. Mm -hmm. Well, at least since the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. He, He turned the country around in two years. Somebody like a Trump or a DeSantis, I believe, I have to believe, is capable of doing the same thing. And I think, I really do think, one of those two guys, I think DeSantis might be more palatable to the electorate in the general election, but either of those two guys could probably do what Reagan did in two years again. And let me tell you something, the great myth is that Reagan was this war president. Reagan was the greatest peace president we have had since George Washington. He did not want a nuclear war, just as Donald Trump does not want a nuclear war. And I believe that 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 doesn't mean he's going to be weak, but I believe that that impetus is going to drive us. If we can get over the 24 election the way it needs to be, I think it's going to drive us to have a more stable future. But we're going to these next two years. Joe Biden is doing his level best to get us into a world war that we cannot win. Okay. And so this is the problem. All right. We'll take uh, take a large glass of water with that SSRI you just gave us, or perhaps uh, perhaps a shot of something stronger. Brandon Weikert, you're always so great and generous with your time and your brain and your pen. Thank well, you thank for you, always Seth. being with us. You betcha. Uh, God un- bless. You bet. Until next week, uh, Brandon, we'll talk to you again then. Thank you, sir. Folks, if you've been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now and you still have some questions, uh, they want you to contact them. They want you to call them and uh, put they will put you in touch with many of their several of their satisfied customers who are happily investing with them and seeing great returns. You can call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Think about your IRA for a moment. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? 
Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn? Tax deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Give them a call at 888-Y-Refi-34 or check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y-R-E-F-Y.com. It's just thinking a little bit on the break here about putting a few of the different things and uh, tying a couple of the threads Brandon um, Brandon was uh, showing to us here uh, about the importance of leadership. Yes, but the importance of you know having a a president or at least a would be president whose medal has been tested, who shows that he's not going to stand down and. Donald Trump, uh, if that is your choice, if you think that is the best call, he obviously has that record from his presidency. They didn't move on Ukraine when Donald Trump was president. But if you think about, you know, the sophistication of foreign intelligence, and Iran is very sophisticated in its foreign intelligence, and you look at Iran DeSantis, you look at what he has not bowed down to either. Obviously, he's not in control of the military as governor of Florida. But, you know, you look at a medal of someone who has stared down teachers unions. You look at the medal of someone who has stared down major corporations. You look at someone who has stared down the progressive woke agenda that no one else has had the political courage to stare down. And that's a test of metal, too. Sometimes as much a test of metal as it can be with a foreign adversary. Um, if you doubt that, I can tell you story after story about war heroes who were serving in politics but were cowed uh, and um, uh, and intimidated by domestic left-wing organizations. Uh, think about what it did to some of our presidencies that had, you know, the entire Defense Department behind them, obviously, and by definition, but could be taken down by domestic uh, protests. There are elected officials the same. You stand up to these progressive agitations, including major corporations and major unions, that's a show of metal as well. Okay, thank you for starting the week out with us. Until tomorrow, I am Seth Leapson. God bless you all, and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.